0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. You know, a young lawyer was so given to his emotions going out of control and actually moving in towards a level of depression that all his friends actually visited his house and they secretly stole away, this is all true, the knives and anything else that he might use that if he would be, you know, even tempted to take his own life. He wrote about this period of time, he says, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not Fortunately, he did recover and became the 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Interesting enough, who in this room has not at one point lost heart? Who of us have not struggled that we might not ever feel better? Who of us have not been broken by our own emotions? This issue of depression is something that we all know, that miserable, wretched experience that leaves you exhausted, unmotivated, and in deep hopeless despair. The dictionary actually states that depression is, quote, a state of feeling sad, a disorder marked by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in things, doing things, a lowering of vitality, of feelings of dejection, end quote. Depression is a crippling hopelessness. And Christians battle with How to categorize depression. You know, we all in this room are supposed to have that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Yes! Okay? And yet some of us, we're singing, I'm down, dismayed, dejected, and dirt down in my heart. Okay? Understand, experiencing difficult thoughts, low thoughts, weighty thoughts, heavy sober times, that's not necessarily sinful. It's true. Uh, David, Job, Elijah went through seasons like that. So did two of my spiritual heroes, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Prince of Preachers, and Reformer Martin Luther, all had what they call dark days, where they battled with it. But whenever your emotions rule, and not the Lord, you're moving into a potentially sinful pattern. Ongoing depression... Elevates your emotions over Christ. When you live as if your emotions are greater than God, then you need to understand at that point you're sinning with your emotions. Would you look at that verse that's at the beginning of your outline? It says 1 Corinthians 6, 12, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything, and that includes your emotions. The only thing you're supposed to be ruled by is the Word of God and uh, the Spirit of God, not sleep, not food, not friends, not family, nothing, including your emotions. Now, it's really difficult sometimes to not have fear or anger or even depression when you live in a day when evil is good and good is defined as evil, when leaders have no integrity, when war is the norm, when immorality and injustice reign supreme, and total disaster awaits you right outside your front door. That's tough. But back in 1973, 50 years ago, Newsweek magazine stated this, there is no, quote, doubt that depression, long the leading mental illness in the USA, is now virtually epidemic. That was 50 years ago. What do we have today? Well, now we've got over 25% of our students battling with their emotions and battling with depression, and the rest of us are not exempt. We live in a culture that is succumbed by emotion, led by emotion, everything, and nowhere in Scripture are we delivered from immunity to the pressures that we feel from our society. So we're all going to struggle with this to some degree and add to that Each one of you in this room has a vicious enemy who wants to destroy you. His name is Satan, and he has a legion, an army working with him, and they want to wipe you out. He wants to keep your eyes on earth, not heaven. He wants, and they want you to get your position in Christ as a forgiven, beloved child of God. He wants you to steer you from real, genuine, relational intimacy with Christ. And he can do that if he can get your emotions out of control, which often makes depression one of his most effective tools. Understand that. Those overwhelmingly dark feelings of misery is depression, sometimes called the common cold of mental health. Now understand, unless you learn what the Bible has to say about this, not what anybody else says, but what the Bible says, how to deal with crippling hopelessness, You're not going to be able to cope with it yourself or rise above it or even help anybody out. Now, you might be here today and you might be saying, Chris, I never battle with depression. I'm happy all the time. Number one, we don't like you. Number two, number two, how are you going to help somebody else? How are you going to come alongside and help them? In the scripture... Understand the answer is always found in God's word and in God's character, and you're going to find it here today. And there in the scripture, there are three classic cases of depression. Who battled with it? Moses, Jonah, Amen, and Elijah. Understand, three great men of God battle with it. That's Numbers 11, that's Jonah 4, that's 1 Kings 19. They were so depressed, they actually asked God to take me home to heaven. They said, God, kill me. I'm that depressed. So what is so helpful about their experiences is that through it, God is going to teach us the causes of depression, the cure for depression, and ultimately, the control for depression. So I want you to look at just one of the classic cases, and that would be the prophet Elijah. So number one in your outline, the cause of depression. The cause. Now open your Bibles. This Faith Bible Church. you got to have your Bibles here. Open them to 1 Kings 18, and then we'll look at 19. That's the crispy portion of your Old Testament. All right, you got to kind of uncrack the pages there, for the backstory of Elijah's failure leads to our understanding of depression. Now today, you're going to learn practically from God's dealings with Elijah, how to biblically deal with depression and dark times, and that's in a practical sense. But you need to understand, behind every Old Testament story, God is at work. Amen? He's at work. He's doing something. So, what is God doing to accomplish His purposes according to His sovereign will and the lives of His people theologically during this season? Because God is definitely at work. Well, let me give you the update, okay? You got a little bit of it in the video. Joshua And the people of Israel take the land. They go right up the center into uh, Jericho and Ai up to the central Benjamin plateau. And they basically take the land by dividing and conquering. They take the south first, the north. They divide up the land. And then it moves us to the time of the Judges. The Judges were a time when God's people were supposed to clear out those people who were paganizing and very, very wicked people. They did not do that, and it led to them intermarrying and compromising their faith. And so they went through cycles through Judges seven times with two appendices at the end of Judges to show you just how bad it was. At the very beginning of First Samuel, things are a wreck. They have to fight the Philistines. They think, oh, we're going to solve this by bringing God in a box out to the army. They take the ark out there, and it's taken captive. They burn the tabernacle, so now there's no place of worship. They don't have the ark. People are scattered. The Philistines are in control. It's a mess. So what do the people ask for? Do they say, God, help us? No. They say, God, we want a king like all the other kings. We want him to be head and shoulders above everybody. We want him to be the dude, you know, that's going to take on the biggest part of the battle. And so they get Saul, a man after, a king after a man's own heart. And then God gives them a man after his own heart and David for 40 years. And then they come to the time of Solomon. Solomon is the peak of Israel's political, economic, and social influence worldwide. They are really... At this particular time, the greatest nation among all the nations that are around them during the reign of Solomon. They are economically at the top of their game. But Solomon dies, and sadly, the nation divides in 931, and slowly the north and the south begin to disintegrate. And finally, they suffer exile in 722 for the north and 586 for the south. The north by Assyria, the south by Babylon. Did get this? After great prosperity, the nation collapses within. Does that feel familiar to you? It's during this season of decline, after the death of Solomon, that God uses His prophets to. They existed before this time, but they really come into play. During this time the season of decline to represent his will to the people to call people to repentance and several other main focus And it is difficult because there's massive things going on within the culture What's happening is syncretism. Do you know what that is? It's taking the true faith and mixing it with false religion And that's going on all the time and the prophets are calling them to not be pure in your faith Don't mix it with man's ideas and then they were actually attacking the people in society, monotheism, that there's one God, one true God, and so the prophets are calling them back to monotheism, especially in rela- as it relates to the Baal worship, or the Baals, which is multiple gods and multiple false prophets as well. So that's going on in that particular situation. These prophets were great men of God, men of courage, men of faith, but they were also imperfect Don't you love that? They were flawed, making them great examples for us to learn from. Eventually, God intentionally sends Assyria to the north, Babylon to the south, to take Israel in the north captive and Judah in the south captive and teach them some very difficult lessons. But I want you to get this God is active in the decline of Israel. One more time. Would you agree? God is active in the decline of Israel. And I believe it's very important for us as Americans that we must be careful in our fight to save America. Have you ever thought that you might be fighting God? Because God was active in the decline of his own people, his own people. Understand, we're not here to save America, friends. We are here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people would come to a saving knowledge of Christ and establish churches in which to be a light and witness of God's character. That's why we're here. It's, It's not to save our government. It is to proclaim the truth of God's word. That's what the scripture declares. Well, these prophets were doing exactly that, but before God teaches the nation In the south and in the north, these difficult lessons in captivity, Yahweh is preserving his people. You're going to see him today preserve a remnant of 7,000 people in the north who are still following him, still loving him. He's going to challenge the northern tribes and the southern tribes to, through his prophets to remember who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, what he's going to do with them. He's calling them to that. Through his prophets, God is calling his people to follow him in dependent obedience. He's calling his people to trust him and not trust others. He's calling his people to pursue his ways and not their ways. So then, what you have practically in this period of history is what happened to Elijah that resulted in his struggle with depression. Well, let's look at it. We're already at point number one. For three and a half years, there is a famine This is a judgment on the northern tribes and its evil king Ahab. So there's been this incredible famine and drought. And so Elijah was no superstar, but he made himself available. God used him greatly. And what he does, Elijah sets up a meeting. He requests it through another prophet. And they set up a meeting with Ahab and with the false prophets of Baal. And it's a contest that's going to happen. In fact, take a look at First Kings 18, verse 21. In your Bibles, what does he say? He says that the people who are witnessing there, there's a prophet, there's the false prophets, there's the people of Israel watching this contest, and he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And the people are so scared they don't answer, they're going to watch this contest unfold. The contest, are you ready? Is between the prophets of Baal and that's 450 Baal prophets and 400 Asheroth, but they're all under that umbrella of Baal. There's about 850 of them versus, are you ready? One prophet of God. One prophet of God with all the people of Israel in attendance, affirming again, one plus God creates a majority. Are you with me? That's what's happening. Elijah rebukes the people for mixing their faith with syncretism, in 1 Kings 18.21, since Baal was considered the Lord of the heavens, he's going to somehow come fire down and lick up the offering and evidence himself that way. And because you know if this is against God himself, Yahweh, then he would be expected to do the same. So Elijah gives the prophets of Baal the first shot. So what he does from 6 a.m. to noon, he gives the prophets their, any opportunity to get their gods to lick up this offering, you know, to, to somehow manifest fire from heaven. And at noon, Elijah can't stand it any longer, right? He gives them a razzing and jacks them all up. And he says, your God's busy. Your God's on the toilet. Your God's constipated. That's what it says in the text. And he is, I listen, you know, when I get on the basketball court, all of a sudden I'm talking about your mother if you're on the other team, you know. And that's what's going on here. And Elijah, he ripped on those guys. No one answered. All the way till evening time. This is all day. Verse 29, quickly then he prepares the altar himself so that there's no trickery. Elijah prayed quietly and Jehovah God sent fire down. When he prepared that altar, he drenched it with water so much so that you would know that he wasn't you know tricking a quick little match here, or something sparky, or something fuel It's like, there's nothing's going to burn this thing. Fire comes down, and all the water's gone, the altar, everything's gone. God just took care of it, and pandemonium breaks out instantly. Verse 39, first Kings 18, a people of Israel fall on their faces, though are witnessing this. They acknowledge the one true God, one God, Yahweh, And in the gathering darkness, assisted by Elijah, they chase down all those false prophets, all 850 of them, and they slaughter every one of them. They kill them. And if that were not enough, Elijah then tells Ahab that that drought that's been going on for three and a half years, that's going to come to an end that very day. He warns them it's going to be just a torrent. Elijah prays, and that's what happens. Water pours out of the heavens. And after warning Ahab, you better get going or your chariot's going to get stuck in the mud. Elijah actually beats Ahab home to Jezreel, uh, running the entire way. Are you ready for this? He runs 30 miles. That's a marathon plus some change. Incredible. So when you try, you fail. When you trust, Christ succeeds. So can you imagine how high Elijah's going on? I mean, this is amazing. What a rush. What an incredible ministry. But... Even though Elijah's all alone, he didn't focus on the problems, he focused on the potential of what God could do. He wanted God to create repentance in the hearts of people, and he was desiring that they would turn back to the Lord and even the government would change. But something awful happens. After a hard day of kinging, Ab- Ahab comes home and he talks to his wife, Queen Jezebel and says what Elijah did to all the false prophets. Well, she is the main instigator of Baalism. She's the instigator of all these false prophets. She is madder than a hornet, and she declares that she is going to kill Elijah just like he killed her 850 prophets. Now you're thinking, wouldn't you think, After taking on 850 prophets, after fire comes from God directly from the heavens and licks up that offering, that somehow, that a single little threat from a single one wicked queen would not bother God's prophet, right? He's seen great things, but it does, and I want you to read with me now chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Now we're back in the text, so stay with me. Chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, it says this. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. You know where Beersheba is? That's 70 miles south from where he is. It's out in the middle of the desert. It's where Abraham used to camp out. There's a big well there and everything. Verse 4, but he himself went on a day's journey after he left his servant there in Beersheba. And it says, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Man, is he depressed or what? Is he? Sure. He's down. You've experienced it. Maybe you started to feel this way when you lost your job or lost a spouse or lost a child or lost a parent or lost a friend. Maybe you had a great disappointment and multiple mini trials all at once that made just life one big trial. Maybe you experienced lots of change all at once and lost your routine. Uh, maybe it was a big move that you had to start over and start a new job, or there was this massive financial loss, set you back a decade, not a year, or a loss of health. You went through disaster, or burglary, or fire, or a wreck, and now your emotions are leading you and out of control and into the depths of depression. Here he is. I mean, look at Elijah. He's dangerous. 850 prophets, he's a dangerous guy. Next thing you know, he's depressed. What happened that brought that about? What can we learn from the text? And what God is doing with Israel, what can we learn from Elijah? Well, I want you to see it, number one, in your outline. Depression comes from after something exciting. Depression comes from something after something exciting. A high, an experience, a victory, a, 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 a culmination. Elijah, there's fire from heaven, he's killing prophets, he's prayed, it rains, he runs for 30 miles. This is the climax of Elijah's life. His entire ministry is summarized here. He longed for Israel to repent, to put away their foreign gods, to follow the one true God, to worship the one true God, and they didn't. But it was a moment. Sometimes some of you who have been in athletic ventures know that after even after a great victory the next day you're kind of depressed. Some of you know that after great ministry and God does some incredible things, there can be depression. I know that if Chick-fil-A, if they started serving on Sundays, you would be depressed on Mondays, right? I mean, it would just happen after great events. That was sarcasm. Thank you. Number two, depression comes after intense emotion. Intense emotion. Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. Now these are wicked men. Very sick, very perverse, evil, vile men. And what they did in Baalism was horrific. I can't even talk about it. But understand, these are people. So this is an intense moment. That's very intense. And then afterward, then, he feared for his life. Uh, Number three, depression comes after a low experience, a failure, a bad event, a loss, disappointments in life. There's no revival for Israel here, even After his courageous witness and everybody bows down and says to the one true God, there's only one God, all of that seems futile because the nation, or at least the governance of the nation, didn't change. And did you notice that Elijah had also become a little bit of a hypocrite? See, how did he become a hypocrite? Well, if he really wanted to die out in the wilderness, all he had to do was not travel 70 miles to Beersheba. He could just stick around where he was and, and Queen Jezebel would have taken care of it, right? If you really want to die, just stay there. She'll take care of you. All right? But he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth here. And God doesn't answer his prayer. Aren't you glad that sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers? Right. Prayer is asking God for what he wants, not what you want. And so depression sometimes comes after a disappointing experience. And number four, depression comes after being worn out. Elijah is worn out. He's done lots of exercise, he's killed those prophets, that's not easy. He's run 30 miles, he's fleeing in the wilderness, no food, probably no sleep, he's worn out. It's reminding us that depression is actually, can be a physical problem. It can be. And one of the first things you need to do when you're really battling with severe depression is get a physical, get checked up, make sure your health is okay. Because really that's what's leading to Elijah's problem here, is that physical weariness. And then fifthly, depression comes when you focus on self. Would you agree that Elijah's having a pity party? Anyone? Sure he is. I alone am left. <laughs> okay, it's, you know, remember when Peter was walking on the water? If you look at the waves, you're going to sink. If you look at Christ, you're going to stand. And when you look at yourself, you're going to get depressed. The number one issue with depression is ingrown eyeballs. You're just thinking about you. And that's going to be destructive to you so number two in your outline the cure to depression those are the causes what are the cures what are some of the prevention and recovery steps there are seven of them that come right out of the text they're very practical in how God dealt with Elijah and I believe that recovery requires all seven steps you don't want to minimize them some of them don't even appear all that spiritual but they're definitely in the text and therefore, it's not always this simple. Let me say it again. Ready? It's not always the, Is it always this simple? No, it's not. But often it is. So take a look at verses 5 through 8 of 1 Kings 19. It says this, And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said, Arise, Eat. And then he looked, and behold, and there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He slept again. And then, verse 7 the angel of the Lord came and a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat. Because the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here are the steps. You have them in your outline because I didn't want you to miss any single one of them. And that is number one, sleep. Sleep. Sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? He lay down and slept under a juniper tree and lay down again, verse 6. The Hebrew lets us know that Elijah hadn't slept at all. So he hadn't slept. And if you're depressed, you usually want to try to fix your problem, but what you desperately need, even you'll stay up late, try to fix your problem, and really what God wants you to do is sleep. You need sleep. And you know the body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the reason that we don't do that is we don't think about it in terms of really our overall spiritual health, and our overall spiritual health has to do with why, why, why don't smoke and why don't take drugs. That same principle should move you to get enough sleep. So, Let's take a brief survey, okay, for everybody in the room. Just be honest because everybody's totally different. How many of you need more than eight hours of sleep a night? Can you put your hands up? Come on, you need, you get more. There you go. There's people, and they're older people, not just teenagers, all right, that need more. All right, so what about how many needs less than seven hours of sleep? Less than seven. Well, well, that would be the rest of you folks, okay? (laughs) Less than eight. Less than eight, you're okay. Put them up. Come on, that's okay. I'm I'm not going to trick you or do anything. Less than six. Less than five. Less than four. That's so scary, you know. When people go, I don't I only need five. I only need four. Yeah, don't you? Doesn't that frighten you? Um, I used to be uh, close to Chuck Swindoll, and we talked one time, and I was talking about how he was writing his books and stuff like that. And he goes, "How much?" Like I said, "How much sleep do you need?" He goes, three and a half and hours." explains a lot. And then I said to him, I hate you. Okay, so because, I mean, you know, how can he do so much because he doesn't need that much? Interesting enough, you need to make sure that you're getting your sleep as God made him sleep and let him sleep. And God's not going to work if you don't stop running, fretting, you know, fantasizing and fuming. So number two, very spiritual, Eat. Look what he says in verse 5. Behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and behold, and there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. Now, I can remember vividly uh, leaving my college campus and going to a signal and stopping there and having these incredible thoughts that were not natural to me. This never happened to me, of massively depressive thinking. Just really depressing. It was so depressive that you ever catch yourself thinking stuff? So I caught myself going, why am I thinking this? This doesn't make any sense. Lord, what's going on? This is weird. And interesting enough, as I began to reflect over the last two days, I realized, true story, I hadn't eaten in 36 hours. We need to eat. And not just coffee or energy drinks, even worse, but food. Good food that your brain doesn't work if it's starving and you're not going to be able to control your emotions if you don't have the substance to actually get some protein in their body fuel. Number three, very spiritual exercise. Number seven, verse seven, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise, eat because the journey, I'm going to send you on a journey is too great for you. Big journey gets you moving. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the Lord for 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, etc. Exercise is crucial to get your spiritual well-being together. God sent Elijah on a long journey. No exercise clogs the brain. And the older you get, you can walk, you can run, you can ride bikes, you can listen to your sergeant in your head saying, move it, people. But whatever you do, you got to move. You've got to get things going in order to be able to think clearly. And that's what's happening here. I'm going to send you on a journey. Number four, solitude with God. This is so important. Verse 9, take a look at it. He says, and he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he said, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, and the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed the prophets with the sword. I alone live, and they seek my life and take it away. And then, after a display of God's power, divine power, verses 11 through 13, there was the sound of a gentle wind blowing. And verse 13, and behold, a voice came to him in that wind and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he said the same thing. I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and I alone am left, and they seek my life and take it away. Now, several things you need to understand here, and I'm going to be clear. To deal with depression and deal with out-of-control emotions, number one, get alone with God and talk to him. Now, your faith is not a religion. It's a relationship. If you're a Christian, you're meeting with Jesus Christ. You're talking with Christ. And if you're going to overcome your emotions, you need to be in intimacy with Christ, talking to the person of Jesus Christ. Then, secondly, you need to monitor your thoughts. Are you thinking correctly? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 is your key verse. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, if there's any good repute, any excellence, and worthy of any of these things, let your mind dwell on those things. You need to manage your thinking. If you're going to overcome depression and overcome your emotions, now here's key, get this, are you listening to yourself or are you talking truth to yourself? That's a big difference. Listening to yourself is dangerous. Talking truth to yourself is vital. You know what I mean? Talking truth, what the Bible says. You're saying that to yourselves. You monitor your thinking. You're speaking biblically. Let me help you with this. pastor friend of mine had a lady who lost her husband. He was one of the helicopter emergency pilot that would come into difficult situations. The helicopter crashed. The men died. She lost her husband. He goes for a walk with her prior to the funeral, and he asks her three questions. Are you ready? You need to know these three questions. Number one, how do you feel? And she's talking about her grief and missing her husband. She's pouring out her heart. Then he asked her, what are you thinking? She's thinking about the kids, she's thinking about the future, she's thinking about how I'm going to support them, etc. She's thinking all that through. And then he asks the most important question. Are you ready? What do you know? What do you know? What do you know about what God says about this event? What do you know about the truth of God's word? Because that's what's going to catch you. That's what's going to rescue you. What do you know? Talk to yourself about truth. Talk truth to yourself don't listen to yourself whine and complain. Does that make sense? It's so important that you manage your thinking in that manner. Number three, get along. get along with God. Talk to Christ intimately, personally. Monitor your thoughts. Number two, number three, do you have a correct view of God? Do you see God as sovereign, that he's in control of every event, that he's all wise, that he never makes a mistake, that he's all powerful, that he can accomplish anything? He could reverse any situation that you're going through. He is that God and you can trust him because he loves you. Did he not prove his love to you over and over and over? He shed his love abroad in our hearts. He is the God who died for you. He is a loving God. So have a correct view of God. And you need to pursue those things. Get accountable to your thinking biblically in order to get things into perspective and be honest. That's what you need. Number five, are you ready? You need a task, a task. If you're going to battle and gain victory over depression, verse 15, the Lord said, Go, Elijah, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, that's way in the north now, he's telling them all the way back, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. Stop sitting around, Elijah, get going, let your emotions basically kind of be succumbed to the task that I've given you, get excited about how to please the Lord, get going, move it. God has already rebuked Elijah twice now. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You don't belong in the middle of nowhere. You're my prophet. You're my person. You are not a monk. You belong in the flow and the mainstream of life with my people and proclaiming God's character and God's message. It is so important that we get up and get going. Don't just sit there and meditate on your navel when you're depressed. Move it, people. Once Carl Menninger, a famous doctor, was giving a lecture on mental health. And he was answering questions from the audience. And one person said, what do you do to help a person who said they felt like a nervous breakdown's coming on? To their astonishment, he didn't say, go see a psychiatrist. You know what he said? Quote, lock up your house, go to the poor part of town, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. He's trying to help you get your eyes off yourself and on to others and what God wants you to do. Service is more than duty. It's physically, spiritually healthy for you. It's what you were made for, and often service puts things into perspective. It keeps you, are you ready? From the best kindling to a depression fire. And what's the best kindling for a depression fire? Ingrown eyeballs. You looking at yourself. you got to get out of that. Number six, Companions companions verse 16 and 18 and Jehu that's the next king after Ahab the son of Nimshi and you know Jehu he was a real fast chariot guy I don't know if you know that and he shall you shall anoint king over Israel in the north and Elisha you shall anoint as prophet in your place wake up Elijah you're not alone Elisha is going to come alongside you and help you and take your place in verse 18 take a look at verse 18 Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. 7,000 people haven't bowed the knee. There are 7,000 others who are still with me. There are no solo saints. There's no closet Christians. Uh, You are meant to be in the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? You're meant to be in the church. No believers are ever to be disconnected from the body. You're not to be distant from the body. In fact, even missionaries were meant to have a strong lifeline. Find some people, trusted friends, discipleship group, uh, brothers and sisters, they are worth millions of dollars to your own soul to have those people in your life. It is deadly and dangerous when Christians don't develop relationships with other Christians. Some men, they have all their friends at work, they're all non-Christians, and they have no relationships with men in the church. That is deadly to your soul. So are you going to make the effort to build those relationships? to interconnect with believers in the church. Elijah needed Elisha. He needed those 7,000 others. And the encouragement of that is number 7. Look at verse 17. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will put to death. There's going to be justice, Elijah. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is really good news. The bad guys are going to get removed, and those who worship the one true God will prevail. Be encouraged, Elijah, and encourage others. I don't know. Are you like me? Whenever I begin to struggle with dark thoughts, or I get discouraged, it sometimes happens, not very often, but when it does, you know what I do? I run to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. I do. And every time, they don't go, oh, stop it, Chris, shut up. They don't do that. They go, okay. They listen. They share verses. They pray for me. They come alongside. They're encouraging. I go to those people who encourage me. And they do. And it's necessary. You need the encouragement and the support of people. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen, pastors aren't above it. You aren't above it. We all battle with this, and you need those people in your life to be that support. So how do I keep from getting depressed in the first place? Well, number three in your outline, the control of depression. Now, for the answer to that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. We're going to see that worked out, if you would, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Among other essential truths, Paul talks about not losing heart and being of good courage. And that's right in chapter 4 and 5. Not losing heart and being of good courage. So he gives three secrets to controlling depression in this passage. And I want you to see him. He gives three preventative steps starting in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1. Take a look at it. Therefore, since we have this ministry... Now watch. As we receive what? Mercy. We don't lose heart. We don't get depressed. We don't get low. We don't give up. The first thing you must cultivate in order to prevent depression in your life is, number one, a sense of wonder over Christ. A sense of wonder. That's what Paul's expressing here. We have this ministry. God uses us. And then he says, and we're saved. We have received what? What? Mercy. Listen. Every single one of you in this room received mercy. I deserved wrath forever, eternally. And I got mercy from Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, so did you. So did you. You got mercy. And Paul never got over that. Listen, if you lose that sense of wonder that you've received God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, and that He's allowing you to serve Him, allowing you to minister that sense of wonder, if you lose that, you've lost one of the most important elements in your Christian life. Take salvation by the King and service for the King out of your daily Christian experience, and you've taken Christ out of your life. The wonder and the absolute joy That God saved you, even though you didn't deserve it. And that he'll use you like a tool for his purposes should be one of the keys to controlling depression in your life. Number two in your outline, daily depend on Christ. Start the day, end the day. Lord, I'm depending on you. I can't do this. You've got to do this through me. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 16, it says, therefore, we do not lose what? Heart, okay, we don't get depressed, we don't let our emotions control. we don't lose heart. Why? Because though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Paul had a lot to be depressed over. I mean, he killed Christians, he persecuted the church, he was the least of the apostles, and yet he's rejoicing because his inner man is being renewed day by day. You need that time in the Word. So your inner man is renewed. Listen, wait, wait, wait. Just a few of you. Your entire experience in Christian life from week to week is podcasts and other sermons. And I, I, I think that's great, but it's not enough. You need to sit with an open Bible and you need to let God speak to your heart and minister to you. My sweetest moments of communion are with an open Bible And just letting the Lord speak to me through the word. You need that. You need it. The time to meditate. My day's off. Sometimes I'm just taking a passage and I'm just thinking about. And meditating and rejoicing over what God is saying. As you're renewed. Listen very carefully. Maybe write this down. As you're renewed. Your internal person gets younger even as your external person gets older. You know, you look in the mirror, you're going, that wasn't there before. Where did that wrinkle come from? What, you know, what's going on here? And yet God's saying, yeah, but I'm renewing you internally. Internally, it's almost as if you're turning back the clock. And number three, a future with Christ. We need to, if we're going to fight depression, we're going to fight our emotions. We've got to remember and focus on our future with Christ. Take a look at chapter 5 verse 8. Chapter 5 verse 8. You should know this verse. He says, We are of good courage. Well, why not depressed? Why not let your emotions take control? Why, Paul? He says, I prefer rather to be absent from the body is to be what? Home with the Lord. This life that we live right now is filled with pain, groanings, sorrow, suffering, disappointments, highs, lows, discouragements, tough circumstances, injustice, evil. So Paul says, you want to beat depression? Remember, you have a perfect heavenly home for all eternity. You, friend, as a Christian, have not been home yet. You're going home, and it's going to be everything that home should be. Keep that thought in your mind throughout the day, and you'll not only control depression, but you'll be a joyful witness of Jesus Christ. Do you long for heaven? I find myself wanting to cling to the feet of Christ. I find myself saying, come Lord, would you come Lord? I look at the news. Come Lord, come Lord, come Lord. I find myself longing to be home. Sometimes because of the evil of this world, lack of justice. Sometimes over my own sinfulness, sometimes weariness. And sometimes, you know what? I just want to be with Christ. I just want to be with him. But I long for heaven. And the key to controlling your emotions and depression is constantly remembering this life is a vapor. And perfect peace, love and joy and perfection await us for all eternity with Christ. Amen? Listen, do you know the causes you do? Do you know the cure you do? Will you take the steps to control it? Have you ever, ever been depressed? If so, then would you join the ranks of everybody else in the human race? We've all faced this, all of us. Some more serious than others. But it's so encouraging to me. i got to tell you, I, I really do um, look up to Charles Spurgeon, and I can't wait to talk to him in heaven. And I really do look up to Martin Luther. But both of those men had very, very dark days. And these are incredible men of God. Listen to Spurgeon. Listen to his words. This is a direct quote from him. I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope that none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. But I always get back again by this. I know that I trust Christ, and I have no reliance but on Him. And if He shall fall, I shall fall with Him. But if He does not fall, I shall not. Because He lives, I shall live also. And I spring to my legs again, and fight with my depressions of spirit, and get victory through it. And so may you do, and so you must, he says. For there is no other way of escaping it. We all go through it, but only those who know Christ have the divine recourses to battle it. If you are one who has no purpose, no peace, no joy, no hope, it is because you do not know your Creator. You do not know what you were made for. And therefore, you cannot have the blessing that comes with being in a right relationship, intimate with the One who made you, And that only comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the example of Elijah. And though we know you're working through the prophets, we also know that Elijah is an incredible example for us. And Father, if there are any in this room who look in their own heart and soul and go, I don't have the resources to do any of this, would you cause them to want to cry out to you? To say change my heart, give me faith, give me repentance that I could be born again and have a new relationship with you, a true relationship with you, an eternal relationship with you so that I could have the resources to rise above those feelings and the frivolity and the, 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 the up and downness of, of my, my day as I, my emotions take me to all different places I don't want to go. Cry out to Christ to change your heart. He died for your sin. He rose from the dead. If you put your faith in Him, He covers you with His righteousness. He makes you right. And then He transforms you internally so you can live in His power. You will have a measure of victory. For the rest of us, allow us to rise above, Lord, our emotions. Allow us to think clearly and remember what You've done for us and to be of good courage, trusting You, Thank you for the example of Elijah. Thank you that you never give up even on your people. And even as they're declining, you're calling them to repentance and to turn. We pray that might be true on our own hearts and lives. We pray now that you would be exalted by how we respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks and have a great day.